You know it's time to do it major. Here's to the hustlers, the movers and shakers. Get up on your grind. Don't let the haters get ya. I know that you got a vision. Now it's time to deliver. Yeah, yeah. Giving you the tools, helping you to grow. Level up, time to shine like you never did before. Let them know. More than a podcast, it's a mindset. You can do anything, you just gotta keep grinding. Let's go. The Entrepreneur Adventure. Hey, the entrepreneur adventure. You ready? And with the right person, like a franchise owner in our case, really needs to have a feeling of wanting to help people and wanting to make a difference for other people's lives. So that needs to be there, that spark. And then there is a fantastic business in that. But the person who just will look at the spreadsheets and doesn't have that kind of passion is not gonna be that kind of inspiring spark in the studio locally that will cause growth in that studio. It has to really come from within. Welcome back to the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast where we give you the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before. You never know when inspiration will strike. And as we frequently hear on the Entrepreneur Adventure, working for the man is often where it begins. Such is the case for our guest today. Please welcome Mr. Walter Vindel, founder of Fit20. After working in the software industry for years, Walter stumbled across an idea that he immediately fell in love with and turned it into not only a reality, but also a successful franchise. And with that, I'll turn it over to our hosts, Josh Melton and Chad Brown, so you can hear the rest of the story. Welcome entrepreneurs, we're back for another awesome week of the Entrepreneur Adventure. So, we've often heard starting a business and growing a business is like jumping off a cliff and building a plane on the way down. That has often been the case for us and a lot of our guests. Today, I'm excited because we're going to hear about the tactics and lessons learned from somebody that's grown a tremendous business in the fitness space, uh, over 140 different locations. Welcome to the podcast, Walter Vendale. Welcome, man. Thank you, Chad. Very uh, happy to be here. Yeah, it's going to be a fun episode. Excited to hear about your journey and uh, just your success story of how you got in the fitness space and really uh, an approach and a model behind it that we rarely see and then been able to scale it to uh, over 140 different locations. Uh, really excited to, to hear your journey, man. And tell us a little bit about how you got started. Right. Okay. Well, it started as very often with a kind of uh, curiosity, I guess. <laughs> um, so I, I'm a lifelong uh, um, health enthusiast. So I, I do Aikido all my life. I've done lots of sports. Um, my wife and myself have a pretty healthy lifestyle. So I've always done that as a way to live, that you get more out of your life when you feel well, right? When you feel energized and you feel positive, you can handle more pressures and stresses and so on. But I've always worked in the IT industry, in uh, projects, large projects, commercial projects. And uh, it was only in my early 40s that I came about a book that a friend of mine gave to me, which was called The New Fitness Revolution. And a challenge with the idea that you get fit in 20 minutes in a week. And my response, like the same, like 99 out of 100 people is, that must be a lot of bullshit. You <laughs> <laughs> beat me to it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and normally, you know, when something sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. But um, I found one of the few exceptions, I believe. And I can generally say this now many years later. So the thing is that um, I thought, well, no way, man, this is not possible. But in the back of my mind, I went like, but suppose it is possible. Would that not be interesting for people who live a very busy life, for people who actually don't see themselves as gym rats or sports freaks, who just are aware that you, know, you need to look after your body like you look after your car, but they don't find a program that they can conveniently and really integrate as a routine in their lives so that got me going and um, so i first uh, called uh, the, the author of the book and said hi i'm walter from the netherlands happens to be an american guy from uh, new york 
And uh, I'm Walter from the Netherlands. I read your book and uh, it sounds too good to be true, but I'm triggered. And uh, would you be interested to help me get uh, started with this in the Netherlands? And he was quite triggered because like many Americans, they want to visit Amsterdam one time in their life. <laughs> because you Americans have funny ideas about what goes on in Amsterdam. <laughs> He's like, I can go to the Netherlands and I can write it off. That's yeah. a win. It oh, sounds like a win. No, no risk here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, Walter, were so, you already? Well, you said you're in the IT business. Were you already an entrepreneur, or did you just have a job in IT? I had a job. So okay. I always worked for American multinationals before, like uh, Sun, Wayback, IBM, uh, software companies. So um, I had done that for almost twenty years, and then together with this book, I was in the process of, you know, am I going to stay doing this, working for a boss? Or am I going to make this jump, you know, and this is sort of maybe a bit of an early midlife crisis moment, but something, a moment where I thought, you know, well, what's next? And that book got me triggered enough because it was so utterly different than anything I'd done before. To thought, I, thought that I felt from the beginnings a proposition in that idea. Uh, but it came from Manhattan, which is utterly different to, I mean, in the, in the Netherlands, you don't have a Manhattan, you know, <laughs> it, in our, in our uh, capital city, you know, it's 600,000 people altogether, and that's our biggest town. So it's nothing like in the US. So my first question was, you know, even if this work, will, will this work for the Netherlands? You know, we're a very vastly different country to the US. Um, but many trends and fitness trends do originate from the US. So I was interested. I thought I'd give it a shot. And that got me started because I happened to have a place which um, was already a small gym beforehand. So I could use that space and use that as a pilot studio for this concept. And then we got to develop it. And after a year, I discovered that our clients had incredible results. So we literally tried trained them once a week and um, they got rid of backaches. They felt more energized. They could do things again like granddads could lift their grandchildren without difficulty. Uh, I had a judo guy who had arthrosis in his shoulder joints, couldn't raise his arm anymore. After a couple of months training with me, you know, he regained mobility. So one story after another, oh yeah, diabetes too. People who used to inject themselves with insulin could go back to tablets, come from tablets off the medication altogether, together with a few, you know, basic common sense diet habits. So uh, I saw it was working. So I first needed to have that proof of concept, like, is this a fairy tale or does this really work? And of course, I used myself as guinea pig as well, together with a physiotherapist who was a friend of mine with whom I started this. And so the first thing was to con convince ourselves of the method. And uh, I tried it out in a very small Dutch town, <clears throat> which is not particularly innovative or progressive. Again, from the idea, I want to make this successful for ordinary people because there are a lot of ordinary people. You know, there's not so many movie stars but there's lots of ordinary folks. So it's for the ordinary person who really want to have a very good maintenance program to keep their bodies healthy and strong. And um, once I saw this work, I started to think, well, okay, let's, let's think one step further. How can this grow? And then I felt from the beginning that it, this has a worldwide potential. And this particular training method has not been properly put into a business model that can scale. So I thought, let me do that then, because they didn't do that properly in the US. So I'm going to do that from the Netherlands. And so I started in the Netherlands. And then if you're going to scale up, there's two options. You can either find uh, an investor and have a lot of money and then build your own locations, or you use franchising as a distribution model. And then you work with co-entrepreneurs. So I, I fancied the latter as a better idea because I like the idea of people being their own boss and having their own accountabilities. And uh, that went very well. So in seven and a half years, we had 100 studios open. 
uh, after I decided to go for franchising and I had to prepare everything for franchising. That took another year or two. But within five years, we opened our first uh, franchise location in the Netherlands. And um, uh, yeah, we really grew rather fast. And also the members that joined up were very happy with the service. It really helped people with their health conditions, helped them to get more fit. So it really delivered what we promised. And we called ourselves Fit20. And the tagline is fit in 20 minutes a week. So uh, that's what we say. And it sounds bold, but it's what we do. Huh. And it works. So, uh, man, I know i got a lot of questions here, Walter. So the first thing is, you read this book, New Fitness Revolution. You're a guy in your 40s. You're not an entrepreneur at the time. You get a job, but you love fitness. So you have a passion for fitness. Yeah. You call the author. Hey, this is yeah. Walter from the Netherlands. <laughs> like, I like your concept. Tell me about it. I, I think I want to exercise. Like, I want to start my entrepreneur adventure with your concept. Did, did this gentleman already have these types of business units that he was, that he was doing? Like, to yeah. tell me a little bit about, like, that starting block. Like, th was this already, he had some proof of concept. He had a fitness center he was doing this in or what? Yeah, he, he actually was also <clears throat> an offshoot from what was previously a franchise actually in the US in this particular training method, but it didn't really uh, prosper, it didn't grow. So it sort of fell out faster than it could grow. And he was one of the uh, individuals that would be, was involved and he, he branched out for himself. So he, by now I believe he has two or three studios in, in New York, I think one on Long Island, one in uh, Manhattan, and he's got a few more in the US now, and I believe one even in South America. So he, he created about six locations under his own uh, ownership in, I guess, 20 years time. But at some point when I saw this concept, I thought this can really go big, you know, and then I mean really big, like Subway, like McDonald's, that size. So uh, that got me triggered. And uh, then I thought you really need to look at the business very differently and really make it a proper franchise. And that has never been done with this. So I had to develop all kinds of things to allow for scaling to be possible. And um, so then we started to go abroad uh, in 2015. And now 2021, in spite of COVID, we will contract uh, soon Spain which will be our 10th country in which we opened up. No, 11th country, sorry, 11. So we're growing faster, but we, we have a vision of a worldwide franchise because in, at core, we really believe we offer a service that can really change people's lives. And so it's never been the money that, that was for me the first motive. It was really, uh, that's one of our, our slogans is changed by Fit20. So that if you do this once a week and, and you allow yourself as a member to treat yourself on one personal training session a week of 20 minutes, your life will change for the better. That's really cool. Now, so it sounds like going into this, you knew from reading the book, I'm interested and I'm interested in going big. This is not a, I want to develop one or two studios. You you from the beginning is like approached it from a standpoint of I want something that I can scale and something that I can grow on yeah, a large well, level. Yeah, well, to be truthful, uh, it went in stages. Okay. So yeah. uh, the first step was that I wanted to see that that the proof of concept worked because I didn't believe it. But when I saw it and I saw it growing in really relatively small towns in the in the Netherlands, I thought there must be loads of cities like this in the world that are not so different. Uh, not so different in terms of people's income, their health conditions, their wishes, their problems. Because, you know, there is this thing called Blue Monday. When people sign on for a, a fit, fitness membership, they do this for about three weeks and then they quit. And uh, many people drop out. So they start from this New Year's revolution, you know, this, this great intention. And that lasts for about three weeks. And one of the reasons it doesn't stick is that uh, it's anonymous. You know, it's left to people's own will. But 
will is like a, a fuel you know you have it in limited supply and if you already have to use it during the day for many business decisions then at the end of the day you're spent so if you then still have to go to the gym in the evening your brain is going to produce 10 reasons why it's not a good idea today but if you have a personal appointment with your personal trainer that says hey joe waits for me uh personally then you say okay then i better go otherwise i have to call them off and then i'm a loser i don't want to do that so i just go even if they don't feel like going and after the training you know every cell in your body is vibrating and you feel alive and you think thank god i did this so then it becomes a habit that is sustainable and that is really key is that many people start with very high ambitions with their fitness level you know they want to grow a six pack in three months and for nine out of ten people it's doomed to fail you now it's not going to work so where for those nine people who feel guilty and terrible and awful they say you don't have to feel awful you can go once a week 20 minutes anyone can do that even if you're an entrepreneur you work work 80 hours a week you can slot in 20 minutes so that's the concept is for 20 i'm gonna have a 20 minute personal training session once that's a week right. And that's going to help that's me it. maintain my fitness. So there's not like six more days of follow-up. It's just. No, no. The only follow-up that we say, the rest of the days move with activities you enjoy. So that can be walking, cycling, golf, uh, or tennis playing or gardening, whatever you fancy, low intensity, do things you enjoy, but you don't have to do it. But when you do the fit 20 training after a couple of months your muscle mass increases and your muscle strength increases tremendously on average 30 percent in the first three months now what's important about that is not only that everything goes much easier your energy level boosts so when people come home like i have a nurse right she said i came home in the evening i was spent and i would lay on the couch for the evening watching tv now she comes home after her day in the hospital and she thinks to herself, what's next? And that's because your energy levels are not spent. So then you naturally feel a desire to do something. So we promote an active lifestyle because the body is made to move. I mean, in the Netherlands, the average person sits 11 hours a day on a bloody chair. That's modern life. And uh, that's not gonna go away. But if you can slot in at least half an hour walk half an hour cycling then you already give your body each day a kind of treat and it should be positive experience not something you have to do and then once a week we really train you hard so on a timeline perspective you read this book you're like no way this is true you call the author he walks you through this is what we're doing you didn't get into business with this gentleman you just no. took the concept and said i'm going to try this out yeah that's right and he was willing to sort of help us get started so we went one time to manhattan for a week and we uh, interviewed clients in the studio we we got some practice and then he visited us one time for a weekend and i took him to amsterdam as promised <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was it and the rest we figured out ourselves okay so that goes into i guess the like now we're going to open up our shop we're going to try out this theory and yeah. so, yeah, it started with curiosity, but at some point, was it a desire? Were you looking to, okay, how do I get out of my day job or how do I create more wealth and more freedom? What, what got you from curiosity to really diving into the model and the growth side? Yeah, I think things like the, 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 the business model and the spreadsheets that came actually much later. I was just simply triggered by the potential of this. And okay. uh, then I thought if the potential is there and if it actually works, then I'll figure out the business model, you know, en route. So I, I actually got started on, on, on that. I saw this is, this is addressing something which all standard fitness uh, programs that I knew definitely in the Netherlands don't provide for. So I saw a unique niche for us and then i thought i better jump in and i'll figure it out on the move so so you're in your early 40s at this time is that right 
That's right. So obviously in your 20 year career and success at your job and exposure, you had to be curious before about other things or, or have uh, encountered opportunity before. What, what made the difference this time? Was there something going on in your life that made you ready to take that leap? Well, I think, uh, you know, I do believe that there are moments in your life where things, you know, um, get together and you get these kind of crossroad moments in your life every once in a while. And then you feel like, okay, what, what do I do now? Do I do the same, what I've done the last 20 years? Or am I, you know, opening a new chapter in my life? And I think that was something that I felt I used up, the experience that the IT industry could offer me. And also the idea of working for a boss, you know, that you know, I'm, I brought in lots of money for other people. Then I think at some point, how about doing that for yourself? So uh, that was definitely part that I thought about, but I hadn't really thought it through. But it was enough to thought, okay, I better do it now because, uh, you know, most entrepreneurs already start from college days, you know, and so I'm a late starter. But the good thing is that, of course, uh, there's plus and pro for everything, right? So being a late starter means I had already lots of working routines. Uh, I knew how things work. Um, so that's an advantage. But looking back, of course, I would wish, you know, if I only picked this up 10 years earlier, it'd be better. But so be it. Life's not perfect. From that timeline perspective, Walter, did so take me through the front end of it. So you have a conversation with this gentleman. How long was it before you actually opened up your own, your own shop for this? And then, too, what was the, the process like with getting started? Did you go get certification to be a personal trainer? Or were you just like, hey, buddy, come here and I can help you out? Like, How did that part work? So the timeline from conversation to getting started and also what yeah. preparation you had to do personally to, to be you know, equipped to perform this um, Yes, Practice. well, I mean, it's good. I, I better don't show you pictures of our first pilot studio, you know, because it looked looked pretty awful, with <laughs> <laughs> crap equipment. But uh, now we have t top of the bill equipment, you know, which is really best for the training method. But when we started, it was pretty kind of Spartan as an expression. I don't know if you know these Greeks from uh, ancient Greeks, you know, they they used the hardcore method. So I had kind of machines which are pretty brutal on the body, but we could do the complete workout. And um, I, I had to sort of gather these equipment relatively cheaply because I didn't know if it was going to fly or not. So I made the kind of low risk adventure. So I thought if it fails, you know, it's been an experience. And gradually, you know, we took it further and replaced the equipment for better equipment. And then, you know, it kind of evolves. You start visiting the relative trade shows and begin to, you know, research different equipment brands. Then you gradually end up with it makes a difference whether you you know train with crappy equipment or good equipment. So now we only want to work, of course, with good equipment. But it the good thing was it even worked on crappy equipment. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was a positive. So so on the starting block, then like you have this conversation with this gentleman, you get rolling, you're starting again, like you said, with hey, we're we're putting we're duct taping this thing together to begin with. Yeah. And I believe I heard you say earlier, you were in business for five years before you had your first franchise location, but you also said that That's you right. had some other locations. So how many locations did you personally have before you sold your first franchise? Um, no, we only had the one pilot. Okay. And okay. then we started to prepare everything. After the first two years, um, we started to prepare things like the logo, the manuals, the franchise contracts, uh, the website, now all, all the stuff you need to, uh, in a sense, be able to copy paste it as a franchise location. So your second location was a franchise location then? That was a franchise okay. location, that's right. And then we went on straight away with franchising. And you were two years went, in with the first franchise or five years? How many years were you in the business before you opened up the first franchise location? So we started with the pilot in January 2005, and then we opened the first franchise in October 2009. So okay. then we've done all the works to be ready for franchising, and then we grew to about 18 locations in the first three years after that. So up to 2012, we grew rapidly into 20 locations. 
then we got the first interest, which also went really fast, from uh, a multinational that wanted a Fit20 studio on its headquarters for its own employees. And by now, we have 16 of those that are at headquarters of multinationals. So it's very convenient if an employee can do their workout at some point once a week during office hours. Was that something you guys were going after or was that something that just somebody else asked for it? It, it was kind of asked for once and then we thought, well, we, then we better work it out as a kind of proper business proposition. And so then I hired a colleague who then developed that side of the business and we call that Fit20 at work. So you do it whilst you're at work. And what we wanted to introduce into companies, because if you ask a business owner, what is your greatest asset in your company? Nine out of 10 will say, well, it's my team, it's my employees. So then we say, okay, is it then important that you keep them fit and healthy? Yeah, very important. Okay, then you better get a Fit20 studio in there. Fit, energy level, the snowball effect of everything. In the short amount of time. Yeah. Because right? it's like, well, they're not working out five hours a week here at work. It's like, no, you got, you got a 20-minute session. I mean, a half and hour in and out, this person's ready to roll. That's right. And now I'm going to make it even more insane because we train our clients in air-conditioned spaces where it's relatively cool. So the kind of clothes you're dressed in right now, that is how you do your workout with us. And you do the movements in slow motion. You don't sweat. So all all right, now, hold on a second. The kind of clothes I'm wearing or the kind of clothes Josh is wearing? Because we dress quite different over there. <laughs> I'm dressed for a workout right now. He's dressed for a, you know, an audit is what he's dressed for. <laughs> the way you're dressed both right now, that's how you can go to the Fit20 studio. All right. Okay. So it is a, a, a low, no sweat to low sweat type workout where you could do it at, hey, I got a 1030 uh, appointment, you know, I got a 10 o'clock meeting. It'll be done at 1025. So I'm going to go do my fit 20 workout at 1030. And then I'll be ready by my 11 o'clock appointment. I'm good. I can just go straight from my fit 20 workout to my next appointment. I don't have to refresh That's ready a, to roll. It's amazing. Takes all the excuses exactly. away. I know. Really? I'm like, man, I can't do it today. You're like, yeah, you can. Like you can wear a tux to this workout. It's perfect. All right. All right, Walter, in this process, did you keep your job as an employee during the entire journey or at some point did you step away from that? Yeah, I was still working in another company. So I had some income. So we kind of grew the business in the beginning years, really bootstrapped. So uh, like my uh, friend who was physiotherapist, he was still working in a physiotherapist practice. So we, we kind of did the impossible, which is without angel investor to build it from scratch. And then at some point it started to generate money. And that's how we built it for a long time. It generated its own money. And that went essentially pretty good in the Netherlands because in the Netherlands right now we have 130 locations. So that generated enough cash to keep the business going. But when we started to go abroad, this is one of the entrepreneurial lessons uh, I learned. And I had a franchise consultant who I sort of chatted to about, you know, I want to go abroad because, you know, it sounds adventurous and great. And then he said to me, okay, do you have the time for it available? Do you have the energy and do you have the required finances? And I thought, oh, well, uh, actually on all three, I have to answer no, you know, if I'm really true. <laughs> so I said, I think it's no, no, no. So I think three times no means yes, right? So we better try. <laughs> I'm still in. No, but yes. Yeah, it's a mathematical equation. Three <laughs> no's equal a yes. You got to do it if so, there's three no's. So if you were to back up a little bit and you could do all this over, would you bootstrap it and build it the same? Or would you take on an angel investor? Uh, would you, mm. As you look back, how you feel about that? Um, I still have two minds about it. What I would, what I would have done differently is that um and that's probably because i'm a late starter that i'm tend to be a little bit of the low risk profile entrepreneur so i see some of the younger entrepreneurs that really go bold and they, they go in hard and and you know they find high investments um i think i've done it a little bit more careful so i wanted to always grow as fast as possible but financially conservatively 
Um, but I would now because I attracted uh, two years ago uh, an investor mm -hmm. uh, because with all the international expansion, you can't keep doing that without having sufficient financial fund. So we ran out of our, you know, steam with the method that we that worked for us for the first years. So what I'm saying is, I think depending on the type of business, you do find as far as you can go, and then you do need something else. And in our case, we did uh, we did find a good investor at some point, and uh, I'm very glad he's on board because he's a very experienced entrepreneur who's built a huge business himself. So I can use his talents and his experience, and that helps me again with uh, growing this business. So, so you found an opportunity to have capital and experience come on board. That's yes. that's fantastic there. I think that's an awesome message for our listeners is it's not just about capital or about funds. It's uh, to get to that next step, having some experience and having somebody else on your team yeah. and building that out. That's, that's a, that's a piece I think is often missed in, in the journey to scale to a certain level. Um, as you were going through this, obviously you are learning as you go and lots of uh, pivots and changes and curiosity turns to opportunity, which turns to scaling. At yeah. any point during this, were you like, man, this is way harder than I expected. I'm in over my head oh, yeah. or I, I want to get out <laughs> or I need to sell or I need to close this thing down. What, what all emotions and uh, feelings that you have uh, during this journey? Yes. I think one of the things we all recognize is that our mind uh, moves faster than uh, the, the real world. <laughs> Absolutely. So, <laughs> so in your mind, it's easy to build 100, 1,000 locations, but then um, um, there is this kind of resistance of, of in our case, because we, we still need to each time open up a physical location. There is always this element of finding a location, putting in the formula package, getting the build out, getting it ready, uh, onboarding our franchisees, training their PTs. So there are many steps along the way. And then you open up each studio again from zero members. You know, and then you have to build up to 100 and then 200. So each time you go through that process. But one of the benefits of experience is that you get gradually less nervous about it. In the beginning, when the first studios opened, I was sweating when I was present during the openings, you know. <laughs> I think, oh, my God, I hope it will fly. Well, yeah, now you've done it over 100 times, right? It's just like, oh, okay, we, I know what to expect. Yeah. That's good. Now I know that I say to a franchise owner, I don't know exactly how your growth curve will go because essentially that's for 75% in the hands of the franchise owner. And about 20% is the formula and the location and 5% is luck. You know, you need to have some bit of luck that will accelerate your growth path. But even if you don't have that kind of extra luck, I know the trajectory and I've seen it so many times. And I know that also happens in all countries, not just in the Netherlands. So if people stick to what the, we from the formula uh, instruct, then we know it will fly. You just don't know exactly how, but then you feel a little bit nervous about not having to super control it. You just have to make sure you do the right things. And when you keep doing the right things, the results will come. You just sometimes have to be patient with the kind of, you know, um, setbacks that you can have that it may take a little bit longer than you wish for. But if you are one year further, you've completely forgotten that. So it's temporary stresses. Yeah, it's interesting. So when you're doing something like what you've done, and again, you've opened up over 100 of these locations, there's a certain fear of failure, um, of maybe frustration tolerance people have in the beginning that's so much more fragile, you know, and like then once you've done, I guess probably once you've had more successes, you've had to fail along the way to get there. And so not that you're like, okay with failure, but you just understand like it's part of the game. Like, just sometimes something's not going to go right. And emotionally, it's not devastating. But in the beginning, oh my gosh, like any little thing goes out of whack, you know, and it's so easy to feel like the whole thing's going to fall apart. But after some experience, the same thing can happen. And you're like, okay, I know that that's not, that's not going to derail me because I've seen it happen before. 
But on the front side of that, you haven't. You know, so it can be this like, oh my God, it's gonna, because this is gonna sink us. So, Walter, I would love to hear, man, because what you've done is, number one, it's very impressive that you weren't this lifelong entrepreneur that who didn't found your thing and like, you know, it blew up for you. It's like you were not a lifelong entrepreneur. You're 20 years into a career, you see something that just comes across your plate at the right time. It wasn't even a business opportunity. It was just an idea that you're like, I wonder if That's that right. would work. And here we are 15 years later and there's, you know, these things, it's in, it, you're in 10 countries doing what you're doing. Yes. So we would be dumb not to ask you to tell us the lessons you've learned along the way you know, with building your business. Yeah. What are the things you would change? What are the things like, this is, we crushed this and did it right. Like, man, we just, we'd love to learn from you in this time to see what were the lessons you learned through your successes and through your failures that we could pass on, pass on to the entrepreneurs listening to this right now. Yeah. Um, there, there are two things which I think listeners can benefit from uh, sharing. One of them is that I visited a masterclass of Fern Harnish uh, years ago on scaling up. And he introduced this idea of the BHAG, which you, you guys probably are familiar with. But I hadn't heard about it that, at that time, that there is this big area that's his goal. And he said, you have to really think 10 years ahead and really put this sort of moonshot idea and put it on paper and then tell your colleagues. And because it's 10 years away, they don't immediately feel stressed about it. They will think you've gone a little bit nuts, but no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, um, so I remember that I came back from the masterclass and I was really super inspired because one of the things you all suffer from is your own psychological limitations in terms of how big can you think. And because I'm a little bit of a cautious entrepreneur, a bit careful, uh, you tend to think too small. And um, you have to think bigger than is comfortable for your mindset. And then you can adjust to that new way of thinking. And the most important thing I learned from that is I said, okay, uh, so the current BHAG that we have in 2030, we want to serve 1 million customers a week worldwide so it's out there and now i know that we will have one million members i have to now take all the decisions in the light of facilitating that becoming a reality so you first go very far into the future and then you go right back and that guides you from wasting time on ancillary projects or getting completely distracted by uh, things that are really not essential, that really don't make a difference. So there's many distractions, but it's very often difficult to see a distraction as a distraction. It sounds like, you know, the grass is greener over there, but it's a distraction. And so one of the things I had difficulty with that I had to learn being a kind of entrepreneur, you tend to be enthusiastic. So it's always easier to say yes than to say no. But once you have to be hack, you really have to learn to say no a lot more. And so when you say yes to something, you do it with far more force and more power. And then you create. That was definitely one of the lessons I needed to learn. Man, that is a really good one. I know that I heard this before. Um, it's kind of interesting, but it's like that time is relative to our experience of time so that the older we are the smaller five years feels like because if i'm if i'm let's say three for me four i'm 40 years old so four years for me i've done 10 times in my life but four years yeah. for my six-year-old daughter is like inconceivable because it's majority of her life right and so i've always struggled with that 10-year vision because i'm like man 10 years is it's easier for me now to have a 10-year goal than it was 10 years ago, if that makes sense. Like as yeah, a 20-year-old, you know, they're like, 10-year goal. You're like, well, 10 years ago, I was 10. So like the last 10 years of my life have been so ridiculous. Uh, that's, that's something I've struggled with coming up with those goals because they just, they do. Like as you're, this is, I think, the point of it. It doesn't have to be realistic because there is no realistic. That, you know, it's 10 years. Like you can, you can accomplish yeah really yes. whatever your mind is set to it over the course of a decade dramatically change things, but it can be difficult or it can be whatever. Um, 
scary is probably the word, fearful. I mean, what if I tell Walter this? This is what I'm going to do in 10 years, and I'm like nowhere close to it. And like, I think that's the whole point, right? It's not only do you yeah. have it, you write it down, you share it with some people just to get your mind thinking about that. But Walter, I love what you said yes. too, is that as enthusiastic entrepreneurs, it's very easy for us. We're like, we're excited. So we see opportunities all over the place. And it's so yeah. hard to say no to those things. But if you that's can right. have such a laser focused, big, hairy, audacious goal as you have serving a million members worldwide in 2030, then you're able to filter out this is going to help me do that, or is it going to take me away from doing that? And man, I bet it's right. Not, not that it makes it easier to say no, but your no is definitely simplified. You, you know if you should say it or not. That's right. Because the, the more, the bigger you get, the more people want to uh, link with you, want to connect with you, want to meet with you. So, uh, and increasingly, there is more in it for them than there is for you. So, you really have to become selective because you only can use you know, your time once. So you have to, to prioritize that on, on doing it to the things that will contribute and make a difference in the right direction. And the other thing is that uh, with a hack is that it allows for exponential growth. So without a hack, you will tend to think in a kind of linear trajectory and then you can grow, say, with 10% a year. But growing with 10% per year is in itself it's not right or wrong, you know, but if you want to achieve something of a greater skill, then you have to allow yourself to think exponentially. That's awesome, man. That's <clears throat> looking at it from a trajectory of how you lay it out in your business model. And then for each franchisee, uh, I love how you break that down into percentages and it is largely determined by the franchisee, then by the, the product in the market, and then luck. But it's you're not only teaching somebody how to operate this studio or how to perform this this business uh, inside of these walls. It's we got to teach you how to be a business owner and how to go out and, and build all aspects of the business, not just inside of our industry of what we do. And I think that's a really awesome lesson and, and something for our listeners to understand just because you have a really fantastic product or you have a really unique idea that's never been done before. It's still largely dependent on the person and a little bit of luck to get this thing off the ground and, and how that trajectory goes. You, you know, there's going to be growth, but how fast and at, at what hockey stick, uh, is determined yeah. mostly by the person. Yes. And this brings me to another lesson, which is, 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 I think, for key for many businesses, but definitely for ours, which is our business, the strength and the weakness of it is people. So the right person in the right seat will accomplish the impossible. But the wrong person in the right seat will not make it work. The right person in the wrong seat won't make it work. And the wrong person in the wrong seat won't work it work. So it's really critical to get every time the right person in the right seat and this is something i learned from when we started to implement aos uh, the entrepreneurial operating system in how we run our business and how i want our masters in other countries to run their businesses so there is a consistency of best business practices because at distance uh, when you don't physically easily meet and see each other um, of course, the, the business risks of failure increase. So you have to reduce that by creating predictability and by creating consistency, by creating standardized processes, systems, so that it all facilitates the guaranteed outcome. And with the right person, like a franchise owner in our case, really needs to have a feeling of wanting to help people and wanting to make a difference for other people's lives. So that needs to be there, that spark. And then there is a fantastic business in that. But the person who just will look at the spreadsheets but doesn't have that kind of passion is not going to be that kind of inspiring spark in the studio locally that will cause growth in that studio. It has to really come from within. And the same is true for the team of personal trainers that that franchise owner will attract because a strong team 
will create a strong membership. And it's really also the basis of loyalty and of retention. It's all connected to starting with the right people. And one of the mistakes I've made in wanting to grow fast is, of course, that sometimes you compromise because you think, well, I need to move quickly. So uh, I better start with the person, even if I have second thoughts about the person. Um, you know, or you make compromises. But where we are now, uh, it's something I still want to grow fast, but only with the right people, which is also in my team. So I've got 20 people in my core team in, in the office, and each one of them has to be at the right place, doing the right job for that person. So we have optimal synergy. And if there's one person who's not in the right seat, because we only have 20 people, then that will be felt by the other people in the team and will demotivate them. So this was the thing I learned from EOS, that I really need to pay attention to that and sometimes also accept that even if I need to hire someone and if I don't immediately find the right person, I wait till I find the right person. And in the past, I would just start with anyone and have the assumption that they would turn out kind of all right, but frequently they don't. Yeah, and that's the that's always kind of the bet you're making, or or at least I say bet. Um, I think the right word would probably be the the tension is that you can't like trying to find the right person. I need somebody. I need somebody. I need somebody. I, yeah, like, here here is somebody willing to come help yeah. solve my problems, but it's probably not the right person at a certain right point now. for us as successful right. entrepreneurs. You've experienced that. Oh my well, gosh! I'm in it right now. <laughs> well, because we get to a level of like we're so confident in what our again, Walter, like you're confident in what your the method, like what you're the selling. Opportunity, yes. you know, you know the business opportunity is good. You know the product is good, and so like it's not hard for for you to for you to sell what what you guys offer. And so the thing, that, at least for us, this is our experience. The only thing holding us back in our growth as a company is the ability to find the right people. Like that's right. the only thing. It's just, that's the biggest, the biggest struggle. So I would ask you this question though, based on that, this is what I get, my struggle is oftentimes is that I might find a right person. Like I'm like, this is the right fit for my team. Culturally, they're, they're the right person. But I might not know exactly what the right seat is for them yet, or the, the right seat may not be available. What have you done, Walter, and as you've scaled your business in, in that type of thing where you're like, man, this is the right person, the right cultural fit, but maybe I don't have them in the right seat yet. Mm -hmm. Have you just helped those people find other opportunities outside of your company or have you tried to build a seat for them? Like, How, how have you navigated that tension? Um, fortunately, we've always been able to, to solve it within our company. But uh, to go back one step is that uh, we really put a lot of emphasis on our vision, our mission, and our core values. So that, that really has to be a fit. Because I believe that you can teach a person who really wants to skills, but you can't teach them culture. So when someone applies for a job with us, then I really want to see them always and get this look in their eye and, and see when the, the, whether there's really a fit. And if the fit is there, then we can figure out how to get them um, operationally productive. But one of the things we also found that uh, as an employer, you need to give it more thought and more time what exactly you require. And this is another thing that we all, as entrepreneurs, we're all juggling all the time with stress and lack of time. And that makes it hard to think. But uh, it's better, my experience is, it's better not to rush and not to hurry, but to take the time to really find the right fit and think of the job more carefully. Um, because otherwise, the person also doesn't get a fair chance. If they, if they don't get a very clear job description, then they're sort of left swimming, you know, swimming in the ocean. And that makes many people unhappy. So there needs to be some kind of swimming pool in which they can swim. How have you managed that in a company that, is, that has grown like your company has grown? Because sometimes you might be hiring someone for a position that's like, hey, this, is, this, this position doesn't exist yet. We just know that we need it. And so you're looking for somebody yeah. for that. Or as your business model changes, you know, sometimes yeah. 
you, you kind of outgrow the glove that you're wearing and you got to change things, move things around. That's been a struggle I've had is figuring out like, hey, our business model, the, what got us to this level, we can see is not going to get us to the next level. So people's job descriptions exactly. change. So how have you navigated that? Well, this is what we're also in at the moment, exactly with the scaling up, that the skill sets that get you from A to B don't get you from B to C, as, as you say. So I recognize that in the beginning, everybody sort of does everything, right? And feels responsible for everything. But that produces uh, a glass ceiling to your growth. So then you really need far more expertise skills. And that's what we see now. So we have people really good at something and they should be kept, not be burdened with having to excel in other areas where they are less competent in. So you begin to make things more explicitly uh, separated and then actually people become happier because there's far more job satisfaction in that they can see that they contribute in a very meaningful way to what the whole company needs. So we start to work with things like uh, quarterly goals, which we call rocks in EOS terms. So everyone within the company has a rock or a couple of rocks and they know that each quarter they produce something. And if you do that with 20 people, which we now do for about seven quarters, you get a kind of momentum that, of course, we just had COVID. So that sort of knocks the momentum out of everything. But um, before that, we really could say that it's beginning to produce a kind of engine that you can create with the whole workforce together. And that's very motivating for everyone involved. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times uh, EOS, uh, employee operating system, entrepreneur operating system. Um, how important is that for a business in general? Is there a certain size that needs to come into play? Should entrepreneurs yeah. uh, have an, an entrepreneur operating system from the start? Uh, what What no. is your experience there? They say themselves, I think, generally that once you hit one or two million uh, dollars revenue, it begins to be useful. So up to a million, you can kind of think, control it without too many systems or too many things in place. But like one of the fundamentals of EOS is that you start with an accountability chart. And there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And of course, you always start off with doing it the wrong way. <laughs> which is you start with the people you've got and you start to put them in places. But you need to start the other way around of what does your ideal business look like? How will your ideal business be organized in terms of accountability chart? Then you begin to populate the functions. Uh, and you have to have the courage to then say, okay, well, um, there's some vacancies and there's some people double or some people are not really needed here. And then these are tough decisions, but there's no way to grow beyond your current revenue levels without making some tough decisions. That's re really good. I've it is. I've heard it from an existing yeah. uh, staffing standpoint that way. That's, that's very beneficial for, for where I'm at, one of my businesses. And we're at that 1.5 to 1.6 million mark. And really starting to struggle as we're trying to grow and scale because we don't have those systems and we're trying to take existing people and make them into the different components or where the different hats we need as a, as opposed to the the approach of what's the ideal business look like and who's here that can fill those roles so a much harder question to ask and harder conversations but definitely the right approach from a business. Oh, 100%. And I think it gets you to a point, once you do have a little bit of revenue coming in, where you you can, uh, not that you, I mean, I think most of us would say that grit is something we're always going to look for in a team member. But on the beginning end, like you need a, you need very gritty people because they got to do so many different roles. And as you start to get a little more revenue, you can say, all right, let me go find someone that already has this particular skill set. I'm going to hire them to only do this thing versus the beginning stages where it's people are spinning plates and they're wearing hats that don't fit and you just got to get through that stage. I got to kind of, as I, I say this every episode, Walter and Chad loves it. Um, I say land the plane of the episode, but I do, I want to, I want to focus on one thing that you said in regards to your business that is your 10 year vision. 
because one of the things that I've struggled with with creating that 10-year vision, again, because it's like the only way to get to this 10-year vision I have for the company is through some some type of uh, compound interest, you know, some type of exponential growth. And it's being able to chart that growth from a predictable standpoint of like, all right, well, if that's my 10-year goal, where do I think I need to be at year three? That planning process for me is difficult to figure out. So for you at a million, was it a million, a million clients served? I know that's not the words you used, but it was serving a million people yeah. worldwide by 2030. How do you plan that? How do you go forward toward that? Like, how do you know if you're on track, especially using traction well, language? Or like, what do you do to set up? This is where I think I need to be in the next 90 days. Or is it all like a little yes. bit of a gunslinging, like, just, hey, man, there, here's the bullseye. Let me th- throw a dart and we'll go for the next yes. one. I've struggled with that. Yes. Right. Well, I would say that the planning is actually the easy bit. <laughs> the doing is the hard bit. But even in the planning, so if I take our company as an example, we will need something like 5,000 studios. And we're now at 167. So that's quite an incredible rapid increase but then you need to break it down to how many countries do we need to be active in how many studios need to be in each country and you start to put that all in a spreadsheet and then actually you're going to see that it's doable if you contract each each year in our case three countries those countries start rolling and they start accelerating in their second year they start to work properly in the third year and then so on and you keep compounding that with your existing countries and you add new countries, you do see the exponential growth path in front of your eyes. And actually it makes it much more clear. Like in our case, we already know which three countries we want to sign next year. Now, life never works according to plan as as any entrepreneur knows. But if you don't plan for free, you are unlikely to ever have them. But if you plan for three specific countries like we do, we may attract a fourth and a fifth that we didn't plan for, but simply because of our network comes in contact with us, is interested. We're not going to say no. So that is going to bring in some additional interest. But you have to create for yourself the discipline of the growth path, how that is feasible. And of course, it is possible that 10 years from now, I don't achieve 5,000 studios, but maybe 4,000. I'll still be fairly happy. I won't be satisfied. <laughs> you won't feel like a total loser, right? You're like, ah, oh, it's in my goal. I'm quitting. It's like, no, you're still like, you still crushed it if you did that. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, I, I appreciate your answer to that. Because again, that's been my challenge is being able to take that, you know, that compound interest curve and say, all right, well, what, how does that break down from 10 years to now? You know, and there's probably yeah. a little bit of going back to those things we talked about early, the, the earlier, yeah. some of the fear associated with it. Cause you know, like the first part of that, like when it comes to compound interest, you know, like the right, hitting the right levels and hitting the right things on the early days, it adds that pressure to it. Like that's where it's like, Hey, everything you do now really matters, which is how we should feel. Like we should know that today really is all that matters is what are you going to do and show up with today? And what can that lead up to? in the future. But yeah, I've, I've really challenged where like, I can come up with like a big goal, but then working my way back on the planning, I'm like, uh, I get all, you know, paralysis of analysis in those moments. Chad's yeah. much better at that. So he helps me out, but yeah. I appreciate your response to that. Welcome. Uh, one final question as we, as we wrap up the episode, land the plane is what we and, say. Chad. And, uh, to land the plane again, <laughs> we're running two planes today. Uh, that's good. This may be the first time this, First guest we've ever landed two planes with, Walter. We so had to circle the runway once. I, I appreciate yeah. your patience as we navigate this flight. Um, we've got some technical difficulties going on with the landing gear. A little turbulence in the studio today. <laughs> okay. A lot, of, a lot of what we're talking about is around systems and planning and 10-year goals and five-year goals and three-year and one-year and quarterly. And that that's a lot of strategy and a lot of planning and, and obviously things don't always go your way. But for me, at some point in this scaling journey, you have the planning side, but there's also a, a faith of betting on it's going to work. I, I know like, let's take my business right now. I'm, I'm in that stage of 
one and a half million in revenue and really wanting to grow and scale. But for me to really do that, I'm at this point where I got to have the right people and I, and we can't wear multiple hats. So I got to go from 11 employees to 18. So I've got to hire another seven people now when I can't necessarily afford it over the course of the next year with my existing revenue. And I don't even really know how all this is going to work. Uh, how much of those decisions like I'm facing now is just based on the, their strategy and, and there's goals and there's strategic approaches to these 10-year goals. But how many times in the journey do you run into a situation like mine where it's, okay, I got to have a little bit of blind faith of, let me go hire seven people and figure all this out. Let me make a mess and see if it aligns and fixes itself. Yeah. I think uh, sometimes this is described as the white waters, right? That <laughs> it's pretty turbulent. Yes. And if you're not going to hire these people, you keep going around in circles. And um, eventually that is kind of uh, demotivating. But hiring seven people is, of course, a phenomenal impact on your bottom line. So what we try to do, we do work with uh, a year plan that I try to slot in the hiring. Uh, I would, I personally would never hire seven people simultaneously. <laughs> because I, Walter's like, my, all or nothing. my first bit of advice is don't <laughs> yeah, hire seven at once. Slow your roll there. I, I wouldn't sleep anymore, but I know entrepreneurs. I know them. They are in a, a, a temporary agency office. They hire 60 people simultaneously in their ramping up. And that depends on the scale of your business, right? When you can do stuff like that. So we're not in that league. So I have to be humble. So I tend to want to grow with three, four employees in my core team per year. And I plan them in the quarters so that I know that each new employee really gets proper onboarding, proper training, is really finding their way into the company and then gradually can begin to work autonomously and then we hire the next one and so on so they also become productive so that we do monitor our bottom line so people are the greatest asset but it's also one of the greatest costs from a financial standpoint of course to monitor closely well i think that's uh great advice and sound advice and uh probably pulls the reins on uh my plans uh to want to go out and find the right seats and figure out the right uh f find the right people and figure out the right seats and do it all at one time we hit levels of frustration and we're like with that that puts us into the take massive action <laughs> we're just like rah, you know throw stuff together well i mean you guys out. are younger than i am so if you can <laughs> handle the stress that comes with it go for it but uh, that was a very nice <laughs> way of saying like that we're uh, that you're much wiser than I, we are. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no. You guys are younger than I, I am. You like, probably have energy to do all yeah, that stupid I, I stuff. I want to be on this podcast again in six months, and uh, let's see where we're at. <laughs> Walter, man, I appreciate your time. Like, I know I've learned a lot just from talking to you today. Kudos to you for your success and what you're doing. Your story is inspiring because, again, you know you didn't start it when you are 18. You already seasoned into your journey of, of your career when you came across an idea that you got excited about. And you made it happen. So it wasn't just like you had thought about it. A lot of people think about starting a business, you know, when they're bored with their career. But you've done it. You've done it at a really big level. You've, you're changing thousands of lives with offering this gift of fitness, this gift of more energy, this gift of a clearer mind. I'm super impressed with it, man. I appreciate you spending an hour of your time with us today. And I know our listeners do as well. Um, I need to know more. I, I want to learn more about the 20 minute workouts, but I want to learn. So to get you back on sometime, a video podcast where you walk us through, like, this is what it looks like to be part yeah. of the fit 20 community. And you're very happy to visit one of our U S studio locations as well. Uh, Josh. Oh, road so trip man. Like to go to to Virginia or to Florida. What part of Florida? Do you know what city? Uh, Jacksonville. Okay. Oh, that's not too far. Yeah. I'm actually going to be down there next month. Uh, Robbie and I are going to be in that there area. So I'll to check it out. We got three studios there. Done. Uh, going to give me a 20-minute workout in. Yeah. Part <laughs> of your holiday, man. 
absolutely. absolutely. Well, well, this has been Drop fun. me a line when you're going. I'll arrange it for you. Done. All right. Yes. I, I've already got the dates nailed down, so I'll let you know. Well, <laughs> well man, I appreciate the time and the wisdom you've shared with us and our audience. And uh, just thank you for being a part of the podcast. And uh, uh, where can people follow you? Uh, how can they keep up with what, what all you're doing and find more about it? All right. The easiest thing is people go to fit20.com. Okay. So that's fit20.com. And from there, you can uh, um, go to the subsites to each country. So you can look to the US or the UK or Germany, France, all the countries who are active. And then you see all the studio locations in each country and you can contact us straight away into the local studio. And we always provide you with a free introductory training. So you don't sign anything before you have verified for yourself that this is the service that fits your needs and then you should give it a go. My personal advice is if someone's listening and think, well, I, I don't believe this guy yet, but I'm willing to give it a shot. Give yourself six months because particularly if you're over 40, your body needs some time to adjust to the stimulus and to actually adapt. But then you will really, really be glad that you've done it because your life will be for the better. And six months is just like 25 workouts. That's right. <laughs> it's not that many. I love it. That's right. Oh, well, thanks so much, man. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's been extremely valuable for, for Josh uh, and myself and our audience. And uh, look forward to catching up with you in the future. Likewise. Thank you very much, uh, Chad and Josh. Pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Walter. If you're a fan of the Entrepreneur Adventure podcast, we would love to hear about it. You can leave us a review right here on your favorite podcast app. You can subscribe to the podcast or you can find us on Instagram at The Entrepreneur Adventure. Until next time, thank you for joining us.